Welcome to Talking Fußball, your source for all things German football. You know, the Bundesliga show, I know that was not said in the right order, the way that you've heard it uh, hundreds of times before. But, you know, everything's pretty extraordinary right now. I'm your host, Matt Herman. I am on the line with Nick Wildhagen, your old friend Nick Wildhagen, who is um, experiencing his own flavor of strange in Stavanger. Uh, I'm experiencing mine in Madison, Wisconsin. What's going on over there, Nick? Why are we talking today uh, when there's no football to talk about? <laughs> yes, both of us are obviously socially isolated. Um, we, we haven't really anybody around us, anybody, or to take any unnecessary contact with people. Well, we were talking about football because there is no football because of the COVID-19 virus. And in Stavanger, obviously, things are, it's, it's, it feels like the calm before the storm. I think there have been 68 people who've tested positive for COVID-19 so far, which makes Stavanger one of the, you know, um, not one of the worst places in Norway, but not one of the best either. Uh, Norway, generally speaking, is, is the country with the high, third highest COVID-19 uh, density uh, in the world right That's now. That's happy news. Uh, I read somewhere. So um, it's, it's, it's hit us hard, but uh, not as hard as uh, New York, which, which has had over 100 deaths. Over the last few hours, I've I've read somewhere. I mean, shit is going crazy. Yeah, that's what's what's happening basically. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Savanger has Madison beat at the moment uh, across Wisconsin as of uh, you know Tuesday. I guess we were in the seventies for uh, confirmed cases, but we all know how diligently the United States has been testing. So uh, take, take that number with a grain of salt. Um, the reason I guess why we're convening right now, other than to commiserate about how weird stuff is and, and how much time we're spending inside and how much we would love to be actually watching um, football right now is because quite sensibly, the people in charge of football uh, have, have, you know, called a timeout. It took a kind of a funny path toward that. You know, and, and one of the things I think is going to sort of come up again and again in what we talk about um, or what I've talked about with people is how whatever it seems like authorities, whether they be governmental or, or corporate or sporting bodies, whatever, whatever step they think is enough to take, they later decide it's not enough. And so the Bundesliga went through, you know, a period of saying, uh, you know, let, let's play games behind closed doors. And then as the weekend of match day 26 approached, um, they kind of realized that um, that was not going to be viable because lo and behold, the people who actually play the football uh, are people too. And to protect them, to protect the, the playing staff, the coaching staff, all the support staff, the referees, the television camera crews, etc., to protect those people, you can't do it. So we didn't have any football. Well, they, they did get sort of a... Um very heavy push by the fact that the match planned on Friday was Düsseldorf against Paderborn. Sure. And yeah. on that Friday, lo and behold, uh, Paderborn coach Stefan Baumgart tested positive. One one of the players on his team tested positive. I think Baumgart tested negative, actually, and the player tested positive. Baumgart had, was, was ill, um, but it turned out he was negative, as far as I heard. He was ill. Well, all right, yeah, but so the player tested positive, so, so there you go. I mean, there, there was some reporting back and forth and a lot of unclear information, but... Anyways, they, they found out that one of the, the people involved in that match, who was supposed to be involved in that match, was tested positive. And I think that in itself made them realize in the end that, you know what? what you know, having nine teams traveling to away games, 
in these times, it doesn't make any sense at this point because you do want to avoid all unnecessary contact. And you had those gatherings outside of the stadium in Paris. You had that gathering outside of the stadium in Mönchengladbach. So there are always going to be people gathering around a football match, which increases the chance to catch that virus uh, significantly for, for many of these people. Um, so in the end, that positive test result of that player meant that they did take the sensible step, but it took them a lot of thinking because on Friday afternoon they said, yeah, we're going, we're going ahead as, as we'd planned, even though they'd been criticised massively by the press, by the politicians and everybody who follows the game, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that the news uh, surrounding this uh, pandemic has been, the, the pace of news has really been very, very hard to keep up with at times. And the, the public consensus about what is sensible uh, has been changing very, very quickly as, uh, as well. So quickly, in fact, that, you know, uh, I, I guess there was probably a consensus, although not an overwhelming one, uh, over the weekend, that when Hans-Joachim Watzke, the, uh, the chairman of Borussia Dortmund, appeared on the sports show in Germany, he thought it was probably still appropriate, probably still, you know, tenable to talk about how, you know, we shouldn't worry about players getting infected because they're, you know, they're fit-strapping young lads. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily need to come up with some kind of alternate alternate financial model to support teams in trouble because, you know, that would just be rewarding teams who hadn't been running themselves well and, and would be penalizing teams who have, i.e. us, not to mention the fact that they were, you know, basically gone bust about 15 years ago. And, very, very, very quickly, a lot of that talk about sort of carrying on with football the way that it has been, which is to say a pretty highly competitive cutthroat business where, you know, clubs are not necessarily going to be looking out for each other. Like that turned into something <laughs> pretty much everyone <laughs> was, you know, hating on him for. And, and in my mind, totally justifiably. That was horrible yeah i mean it, it's it's sort of a bit strange when a man who really needed to count on um a number of big investors taking a considerable uh cut to what they were going to get back from what Borussia dortmund basically owed them back in 2005 you know that that club went bust because they really before Joachim Watzke's, Hans-Joachim Watzke's time, to be fair, but before his time, they, they did take some really stupid financial chances and they ended up being massively in debt. And hadn't it been for the solidarity shown by fans who were owed money, you know, fans who run some somewhat big companies as, as such, Borussia Dortmund wouldn't be around today. So to say, you know, we've got all this money now, we don't want to give you any of it. It strikes me kind of strange, especially in the light that, that a guy like Dietmar Hopp is saying that now is the time to show solidarity with other clubs. Dietmar Hopp, for Christ's sake, who um, somehow um, turned from, you know, the, the guy football fans hated in the press to the guy who might potentially save the world. What a subtly strange week it has been. Exactly. I mean, you know... Leaving aside the fact that this uh, this this you know pharmaceutical research company uh, that he he owns that was you know apparently approached by the Trump administration to 
provide a vaccine to the United States, but only to the United States, which, you know, is pretty ugly in and of itself. Believing aside that, that, you know, I think that if certain researchers who were on that project had been in any way attracted by that proposition, they probably just would have quietly, <laughs> you know, went off and took it, took it. I mean, it didn't take Dietmar Hopp to refuse the deal to, to make anything real happen. But it is smart that he did and good that he did and good that he is talking about solidarity. And really, the more he can do to show that he does have the best interests of German football and, and football more broadly in mind, the more he is going to endear himself to people. I mean, whatever way this league has been run, whatever way, you know, in some ways, European, global football, whatever has been run, if this period of, you know, you know no games, and we'll get to the subject of whether or not they're going to start up again uh, in a moment, whatever's going to happen from here, I don't think it's going to look exactly like it did before this started, especially if we end up having no public games for many, many months, which I think is a distinct possibility. It is. It absolutely is. Because what we know about this COVID-19, it's it's very little and it changes pretty much all the time. And, you know, there's new knowledge out there pretty much every day. And what we do know for, for certain is that it's it's transmitted really, really easily. It can survive on surfaces for a really, really long time. Oh, and, and the non-asymptomatic carrier phenomenon, it makes it incredibly difficult to stop it spreading. Because, I mean, pretty much, you know, the, the country that has the best data on this stuff, South Korea, has found that, you know, among, especially among young people who are highly socially active, a lot of these people never get sick, but are still passing it on to, uh, to, to other people. And that's a, that's a really hard thing to combat. It is. And um, the other thing that really scares me, though, about this is that, you know, usually you say with, like, when you have the flu season, which comes around right about now as well, you say that, well, you do have a certain amount of people who die from every year because it's basically their time, their, their immune system isn't good enough, it's it's just the way nature works, and so they, there you go. Um, but with this, what we have seen is that the amount of people who usually shouldn't be dying from this sort of thing has been in certain places high it's it's not really at an alarming rate it's not really that all of us have to be afraid but there are people like a 21 year old football coach in spain who died the other day top trained man and his body couldn't cope with it and one of those strapping young lads that uh, Hans Joachim Watzke thought was going to be a okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know that that, that in itself is, um, well, it's it's you know most people in our age group, you know, on the under fifties, we are barely, probably barely likely to experience any symptoms. We really don't know if that is the case on an individual level. And additionally. There aren't any drugs around. There isn't any vaccine around, and it's ex it's an extremely uncertain time that we live in. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty much the biggest shakeup in history, in terms of the steps that governments have taken around the around Europe and around the world after the Second World War. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, and and it's it's definitely, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into structural economic critique, although I, I certainly have my opinions about those those things. But lady is, that Marxist analysis on me, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's giving us a lot of food for thought about how market forces and or or, or sort of market economies uh, are just not really well equipped 
to do anything about this at, at the, the at this sort of necessary force and speed that it takes. You know, we can't wait for the market to sort this stuff out because, you know, and, and let's maybe get to the, some of the Bundesliga issues here, which which came up earlier this week when when the DFL had their meeting of the of the, the you know thirty six big clubs. One 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 last comment about yeah. about yours is um. Isn't it really a swell world, swell world where, that we live in when a billionaire like Dietmar Hopp gets to decide, do I take a deal with the USA only giving those people a vaccine or am I going to save the entire world? What What is economically more viable for me? Yeah, yeah, you know, they, they just all, they're all Skyping together right now. They're, they're doing their own podcast, <laughs> you know, Dietmar Hopp and, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, etc. The Don. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that 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 in itself. Yeah, I mean the the fact that I mean we we used to have government research. We used to have really really well equipped medical departments all around the U.S., all around Europe, and we've sort of outsourced that sort of stuff to pharmaceutical companies. Oh yeah, and that that is that is the worst case scenario is that a guy in Dietmar Hopp's position is going to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to take Donald Trump up on that deal because, you know. I, you know, I've, I've got 15 yards, one in Monaco, one in Nice, but the Maldives look nice and they're really expensive. Yeah, well, not to mention the, uh, uh, or leaving aside the fact that the Maldives are, are going to be underwater within <laughs> a generation, but uh, what I was kind of getting to. So you have to buy them now. Oh, for sure. Um, what I was kind of getting to with how this sort of applies to football um, is the press conference that was held after this meeting of the DFL clubs with, uh, you know, Christian Seifert um, talking about, you know, games behind closed doors are basically the only alternative for the Bundesliga. Because he says, if, if, if we don't play any games, if we don't play these Geisterspiele, then we're not talking about a 20-team league next year, which is one of the ideas about people had about, you know, making up for a, a lost year. He said, we might be looking at not having 20 teams to play. And and by that he means that, you know, the way these clubs are set up with the, the costs that they have to cover in terms of playing staff and, and other staff and facilities costs, et cetera, they just aren't going to have the income to cover those costs if they don't play these games and at least recoup their TV money. And And when you look at things through that prism, when you look at things through the lens of, you know, inputs and outputs and, you know, fulfilling contracts, which is very much the way that we always think of things in our society, especially, you know, in highly developed Western countries. Yeah, it, it becomes urgent to do things like play games behind closed doors. But like when you take even half a step back and you look at football for what it is, which is basically uh, an entertainment product, which is really, really nice to have, but means nothing compared to, you know, the spread of a pandemic virus, which has the potential to kill millions of people. Obviously, it's not that important, which is not to say we should just let the, the football clubs die and just, you know, fold up our tent and go home. But it just means that, like, if this is an important thing and we want to be able to play it six months, 12 months, 18, 24 months, however many months down the road, you know, maybe we need to start thinking beyond the dollars and cents of it. We need to start thinking about how we can share the wealth and share this cultural artifact that means so much to people in Germany and many other countries. And, you know, if we can't play the rest of the season, we, get, we need to figure out another way. If that means getting government to step in, if that means sharing the money that 
the very, very biggest clubs have. I mean, I don't want this to mean that all but the top five teams in every country folds. And lo and behold, we only have a European Super League after Corona or whatever. I, I don't want that. No one wants that. We have to think of something else. <laughs> well, I think I'm sure the American investors and Chinese investors who would love a European Super League. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's about sharing the burden of the, the strain the clubs are put under by the, the current developments. And everybody has to do something about it. Players, agents, presidents, uh, fans, you know, players may have to take a pay cut. But hey... Look, look, look at Europe right now. Norway has the highest unemployment rate in 30 years. And that, that only took two weeks to happen. Things are going to get a lot worse for a lot of people. So, honestly speaking, if a bunch of football millionaires have to do without, you know, a couple of months of wages or three months or four months of wages... Boo fucking you, everybody else is doing worse. Yeah. I mean, they're, in terms of the economic pressure that everybody is put under, and, you know, you might, you, you know, you're well off if you're in Norway, but look at the UK. Look at the economic safety net that people who are struggling economically do have after 10 years of Tory government. I mean, to say they're f***ed is an understatement, to be, to be brutally honest. Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, kind of getting back to what, what I, I was talking about before, like whatever you think is a step that's enough to fix it is, is you know, a couple of days later, a couple of hours later, depending on what it is, you're going to realize it's not enough. And I think the fact that we have not seen some pretty drastic steps of that nature of, of players either agreeing not to get paid or players explicitly donating um, money to, you know, club support staff, as we've seen from some like NBA players where, you know, some of them have pledged to give, you know, pretty, pretty big dollar amounts to, you know, help hourly workers who work at the stadium and, and the sort of people who don't make a lot of money, but who depend on the games in order to have their livelihood. It's got to go even farther than that. I mean, it's basically got to go to the point where, if these clubs are not operating, if they're not taking in money, then they're not going to be able to put out money either. And at, while <laughs> it, it feels so strange for me to say this stuff, because like, you know, obviously I don't actually begrudge players for the money that they make, because at, le at least within the system that they find themselves, which, you know, you can quibble with how, how sort of just or, you know, smart that system is, but it is what it is. And, and I like the fact that players demand top dollar for their work because they're the ones who are actually doing the work. They're the ones who make the game. And I prefer to see them make the money than, than the execs. But <laughs> under the circumstances, <laughs> they're probably going to need to take some pay cuts or not get paid for a while because, you know, I don't see an alternative. I mean, even if they have to sort of I mean, there's already a lot of talk going on about how we're going to deal with the fact that almost all players' contracts run out at the end of June. And if in the event, and I think this is a rather unlikely event, of, of starting the league up again, they're going to make a decision on, what, March 30th about whether they can start up again. I mean, let's be real here. That's not happening. They're not starting. We're not starting up again. If we have a sick player at Paderborn, a sick player at Hertha, we have, you know, 
squads at Nuremberg and Hanover with multiple players with this, the second division clubs. I mean, we're not going to play football again for a while. I don't think, I don't see it happening. No, and these so-called ghost matches are not going to fix anything. I mean, what what's really strange about this, and, you know, it's, it's in these sort of moments where some people show their true color, um, Karl-Heinz Rummenig was all about talking all about how much the Bundesliga needed the TV money. That That's all he had in mind. Um, he... To be fair to him, he had a sentence afterwards saying, you know, the, the health and safety of the public and players is, of course, the most important thing, but we have to play those matches because of the TV money. Because if we don't fulfill our contract with Sky and all the broadcasters around the world, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us immense amount of money. But at the end of the day, this is an unprecedented situation. Broadcasters have their right, they have a contract, and they can demand that those matches are played. But, at the end of the day, I do think that several broadcasters around the world might actually be willing to sit down with the Bundesliga and actually take a closer look at how they can help. Because, to be honest, if this season cannot be finished, it's in everybody's interest that it starts up at the earliest point possible with fans in the stadium. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a ghost match. I mean, we've had one, and Borussia Mönchengladbach against Köln the other day. But if you've ever seen a ghost match, it's so anemic. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. It's it lacks the intensity. I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Köln. That's a derby. That's a big game. Big emotions. Players getting at each other. You know, maybe there might be a fist fight. You know, all these things. It, it just really, it, it looked like a bunch of guys having a kick around in the park at a, at a very high level, to be fair. But, you know, it just lacked all of the things we do love about football. And that's why those matches, for me, much worse than the money not coming out, it actually kills football for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty worried, actually. The more I read up on, on you know, some of the sort of... Um I guess, not necessarily worst case scenario, but even just fairly pessimistic, realistic um, judgments about where this is going. I mean, it's. I think it's quite possible that it will not be like prudent from a public health perspective to play a public football match in a stadium until there is a vaccine for this thing. Uh, and that could be a year or a year and a half from now. I... I mean, you know, I've heard things like, you know, there might be, there might be like sort of periods of loosening of, of social distancing provisions in various locations, maybe even doing like, you know, regions taking turns, having, having loosenings so that people can not just be hermits for the next year and a half. But like, I just don't see if this thing turns out as bad as, as many of us believe it will be, I don't see us playing football matches in front of big stadiums for a really long time. There are a lot of buts and ifs and uncertainties yeah. oh, at yeah. this stage. Um, hey, Deep Marhop might still <laughs> ride in to well, save the day. He said, he, he said that, you know what, uh, we want to have a vaccine out by autumn to, to be ready for the next big flu season because um and the next bundesliga season yes which hoffenheim is going to win 
Well, they should, they should let him win if 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 that's the case. I mean, yes, yes. If Hop really does save the world, then you have to let Hoffenheim win the Bundesliga. It's it's only fair. I, I mean, yeah. Just just a side note. What would really would really 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 piss me off about the reporting last week was um, the fact that the criticism of the Bundesliga fans, which was about Dietmar Hopp not following the 50 plus one row, with Dietmar Hopp just being a sugar daddy who rides in, takes a team that usually belongs in the 7th and 8th or 8th tier, just took it up to the Bundesliga just simply by pumping money into it. I mean, that criticism was uttered in a way which wasn't always acceptable, but the grievances were real and they should have been taken seriously. However, that the nasty bits and pieces do get conflated with the news that, oh, did Mahop might actually come in and save the world. And look at those assholes, football fans. Come on, journalists of Germany. You can do better than that because, you know, context. It's, yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. Looked uh, up. But, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, the ifs and buts right now are how deadly is this thing going to turn up in the end? I mean, Italy has horrific numbers, but a small population which, with a very, very overwhelmed health system, is not really going to be the benchmark which is going to tell us the entire fall. Yeah, I mean, they had the, they had the, the distinct disadvantage of being the first sort of developed Western country to, to, to have a big um, disease you know, population, which means that they were the first to experience it. They took the, the the fewest precautionary measures, or they took those measures later than many other countries now have. I mean, I would hope that the fact that you know the region that I'm in, for example, is not under a like strict you know uh, shelter in place order or whatever, but you know they have closed the bars, and I think you can only pick up food at restaurants. You can't stay there. And lots of stores um, have, have sort of voluntarily closed themselves, especially independent businesses who don't want to be paying for employees right now. I mean, things are moving towards a shutdown, and I think that we'll probably get to a full shutdown within a few days. Yeah. And we've only got, you know, as I said, uh, you know, not even 100 cases confirmed, caveat, testing, bad, etc. <laughs> I mean, the, but, entire, the entire country of Lebanon had 120 confirmed cases yesterday, and they shut down the entire country. So, Well, good for them. I mean, that, that might tell you that testing equipment is expensive, um, and testing equipment, um, having it in the right place and having testing equipment that can run a lot of tests is obviously a problem in many places in the world. So those results of, uh, you know, if you see that one country or one particular place in in certain countries don't have many cases of the coronavirus. Don't be fooled. Um, the number of people who probably have it or have had it is immense. Oh, yeah, because the people who never get symptoms but who have it uh, are never going to have cause to go get a test unless the government makes them extremely widespread available, like like Korea has, South Korea. where they found out that, in, in fact, a zillion people have it. Yeah, South Korea actually showed that um, a lot of young people had it, and... Um, if you see the positive tests for young people in Europe compared to those in South Korea, you can actually be, you can get pretty scared. Because actually, um, I mean, I've, I've been pretty good uh, isolating. Um, I mean, I've been at work, I've been to the store to pick up necessities, and, and that's pretty much all I've done for the, for the last week or so. Um, but even still, given how infectious, uh, how easily this disease is transmitted, I could actually sit here and have it without showing any symptoms. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I teach at a university, dude. 
Um, <laughs> I think my chances of already having it are decent uh, to, to very good. You know, I, I hope I hope it's the buck stops there. I hope it doesn't get worse for me or anyone in, in my orbit. But, you know, it's um, it's pretty weird. Let's talk a little bit <laughs> about where about where we're headed. Um, you know, obviously we can't look into the crystal ball uh, too deeply. You know, the the ifs, the buts, the ands, the what ifs are, are sort of piling up in a huge way. And, and we know that it is the DFL's intention to resume this season as soon as they can. They, they hope to be able to make that decision in 12 days time. That seems uh, somewhat fanciful. But um, at least they did get the... Uh, you know, uh, uh, European Championships, the the uh, Europa Meisterschaft moved out of the summer, so that there is some wiggle room if they can get things started back up. You know, in in late May, June, whatever, behind closed doors, maybe they can come up with some crazy idea to turn this into like a uh, <laughs> highly produced television game that you don't need fans. It's like everything takes place in this this weird arena. <laughs> you know, play play all the games at the uh, <laughs> the Schalke Dome where you can do crazy light shows and stuff. Where, where where will we be left? I mean, how about seven aside football and uh, on a, on a small pitch scale? Um, I mean, it re- decreases the, the risk of infection because you basically cut half of the playing staff, and and then you run you know have a very small pitch, uh, very don't don't have any goalkeepers, and and you just you know have, have like sort of a, like a training match and make them count as matches. I mean, you I, can you can I'm in with this as long as we have. This two games being played simultaneously on two halves of a regulation pitch. Yes, you know, like like you're in a you know <laughs> a recreational situation training session. So we have like you know Schalke versus uh, uh, Mites on one half of the pitch, and uh, Werder versus Hertha on the other. <laughs> and you know if the ball goes over in the other other game, you have to be like, hey guys, just give me just give can you give us a ball? But, you know, don't touch it with your hands, nice, please. It, <laughs> All kinds of solidarity between the players. Yeah, and, and you know, a half could last for five minutes, and you know, you could start at nine in the morning and be done by by nine in the evening. Um, I mean, th- that might be just about the only way you could finish the season at this stage. I mean, they do talk about starting up again in May, and they do talk about you know, just saying fuck it, we're going with English weeks. Every every week, and you know that there, there are a couple of problems here um, already because Verde and Eintracht they have had one of their match their their match was postponed. So how are you going to fit that one in there? Additionally, the way things are going, the way matches are getting more and more drastic by the minute, and without any evident proof that this infection is anywhere on the way back. I mean, what we are being told by various experts, it varies from the infection being at its most prevalent in Europe in May, June, or July. Sure. And under these conditions, you're not going to... If you're not going to be able to play football now, you're not going to be able to play football then. Yeah. That's just it. I mean, you could go for the herd immunity thing that Boris Johnson was fancying there for a moment, but... I mean, yeah, millions of people are going to die. Um, only problem. Um, I do love my grandmother, and I want her around. So please don't do that. So maybe just don't don't have anything to do with her for a while, Nick. That's, yes, that's, 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 that's your best bet. Horrible as it is. Yeah, we do have um, 
WhatsApp and we send pictures and chat and have, you know, you have all that technology. Now, now is the time to put it to excellent use. I mean, one thing I'm also concerned about, even if a determination is made that, you know, um, closed door matches are, are sort of viable from a safety perspective of, of you know, the, the limited staff that it takes to actually make a, a game work for TV, which, you know, is, is a big if. You know, when did we stop playing? In the middle of March. If they don't start up again until late May, let's just say, these players... I mean, they, they will have been, you know, running on treadmills and, you know, doing their kettlebell swings in the basement or whatever. But, like, are they going to be ready to play? Like, these, these games are going to be junk. This is going to be like, you know. No, no, of course not. I mean, if Werder Bremen suddenly managed to have a turnaround winning nine on the bounce, um, it's not going to be about Florian Kofold's good work. It's not because I mean we we did we sort of didn't know at, at the point where the league started that Bayern München were looking likely to win it. I hate to say it, and we did know that Werder Bremen and Paderborn looked very very likely to be relegated. But everything in between was pretty much up for grabs. I mean, the top four places, place number one looked. It looked sort of sat with Bayern, you know, having a good gap of four points. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, all these other three teams, they, they you know, they, they actually gave, gave it a good good go. Um, so, you know, I mean, well, it's, it's a shame that we never know how this season actually might have turned out. But at, at the end of the day, if we finish the season, I mean, there, there, there was there were these calls about Wettbewerbsverzerrung from Freddy Bobic when... There was talk about Werder Bremen taking on Frankfurt on a set Sunday night after they after Frankfurt had played on in the Europa League on a Friday night. I mean, talk about screwing the competition entirely. I mean, that's what you basically would be doing. And at the end of the day, uh, um, I, I was going to say the the table that is going to produce at the end of such a season would be as worthless as toilet paper, but obviously toilet paper has turned out to be a commodity, <laughs> commodity which has been a great demand all around Europe. Yeah, for sure. Here too, for sure, for sure. Especially in our in our our benighted, bedayless country, uh, toilet paper is is particularly important. Any thoughts about? I mean, we had some pretty. You know, we, we've talked about some of the more crass comments that we have heard from from football executives, be, be it um, Hans Joachim Vatska or, you know, Karl-Heinz Romanega pretty early on in this th- this story. Tone has really changed. We had some pretty interesting comments from uh, Joachim Löw today, which is to say Wednesday, talking about, you know, the fact that he doesn't really care that the European Championship has been moved to a year, he, he thinks that's, you know, the only thing that they could have done. But also, you know, really talking in, in kind of like some some Old Testament prophet kind of language about like, you know, it seems like seems like the the earth is has risen up and, you know, taught humankind a lesson. It was very weird, like apocalyptic language which, you know I, I, in some ways i it's that's the kind of thing that can be hard to resist at times like this but <laughs> you know like- from from another perspective when he he said stuff like you know power and money 
basically are, have have sort of I say power, greed, and profit. There was this we'd already reached the limit of how much this stuff can can matter. I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I found something to kind of like about this um, this way that he sort of puts into context that the fact that basically the entire financial apparatus surrounding football is yeah if if it's as big as it is and as fragile as it seems to be you know when when we look at all the the sort of language surrounding tv contracts and and you know the fact that uefa threatened to you know demand money from the various leagues uh, if they were going to move the the tournament i don't know if that happened behind the scenes or if that they dropped that demand i mean this stuff is ugly and the fact that you know this alleged multi-billion dollar euro whatever business is so inflated and, and yet so fragile that it can't get go without money for <laughs> a month you know maybe maybe the whole thing is just a house of cards and it's it's not gonna come back the way we, we we had it well the problem is for many football teams is that they do not take the same precautions that any other company would you know, they, they plan their budgets on a very tight margin. For some teams, it might be a disaster if they don't get to the quarterfinal of the DFB Pokal, for instance, in terms of revenue generated. So they, they do walk on a nice edge to begin with. What solutions would you normally have? Well, you would normally do what all, com- all companies all around Europe are doing right now. You put people on leave. However... In the world of football, that's not so easy. Because if you play, put a player on leave, what's not to say that Liverpool might look at, say, Milot Rashica or Jaden Sancho on leave and say, yeah, he, I, I fancy that guy. I can, so. I mean, they can come and, and snap him up for free. Yeah, I understand that the, uh, actually the, uh, the head of the, the Norwegian FA propose that uh, uh, some sort of transfer ban be put in place should we get to a, a situation where, where clubs do need to put players on yeah, so that that doesn't just turn into a weird free-for-all where, where you know, the big, big clubs... Yeah, that, that, that is what the clubs in Norway right now are concerned about because they do... Um, the Norwegian Hockey League has actually... I mean, they, they're sort of on a different cycle than the Norwegian, uh, the Norwegian Soccer League, but the Norwegian Hockey League, they would have had their playoffs now. Um, you know, obviously that is not going to happen. They've finished off the season. Nobody's going to win it, but they've put all their players on leave. And obviously that's the, that's what football clubs in Norway are thinking about too at this moment. But for them, I mean, if you, it's sort of like a weird sort of, uh, consideration, weird considerations to take. I mean, would you like to put your biggest talents, them, your biggest asses on leave? Probably also costing you the most of in, in salaries because you know clubs can come in, snap them up for free, all that. So uh, it's it's sort of a very strange situation to be in. But what those clubs do know here in Norway, even more so than in Germany, is that if they don't do anything about the actual costs in terms of the wages they pay, they are going to be f-ed. majorly. F-ed. I mean. We're talking here and all we're talking about, well, you know what, we, we might want to start the league in May, but as I said, it's, it's not going to happen. And, um, you know, the bots and ifs, I mean, we do have some drugs that are tested right now. Um, there's a 
drug that was developed as an Ebola drug called Remdesivir, which um, looks promising in testing, but that might not be available for clinical use until June or July. And if we do have a drug, maybe that might be a game changer in some sense. But the real game changer when it comes to these sort of pandemics are vaccines. And what we are seeing right now, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you might, you might want to reconsider your stances. All it took was a global pandemic, Nick. All it took. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people didn't, didn't ex- experience the Spanish flu and all that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might, you might have read about it in some history books, but you might still be an anti-vaxxer. But I mean, right now, it really shows us how fragile the world is when it faces something that we cannot deal with on a medical level. Anywhere else we th- you think we need to go with this? I mean, I, I think maybe, I think everyone's kind of aware of uh, the, the, the troubles of your club and to you know a slightly lesser extent my club this year. N- nullifying the seasons, uh, obviously not the worst thing for them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do they actually mean? And You know, we, we've talk, talked about the larger picture and what yeah. do they actually mean yeah, in the I, larger you know, picture? I, not, not damn thing. Nothing at all. I mean, it's fun and my habit of reading, reading up about what's going on with Herta just about every day. Uh, I've kind of broken that habit without a lot of uh, without a lot of prompting. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm I work in the healthcare sector here in Norway, and and the pressure we're p- put under, and this is just the beginning. But the pressure we're facing right now is immense. You know, I'm 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 starting parental leave in in, in a few weeks time. As things stand, I'm not so sure that I'm gonna. Yeah, I feel, you know, people who have something to contribute as, as frontline healthcare workers. I mean, obviously, this is not, not really your line of work. No, 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 but no. That doesn't, re- that doesn't really matter <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I mean, if you no. are a doctor, a nurse, a clinician of any kind, you're probably going to get put to work. Yeah, um, you know, I, I might, I mean, depending on how this goes, I might have to work with corona patients. So they, they, they are, you know teaching us how to work with COVID-19 patients. And obviously, uh, somebody who's worked in, in psych for, for, for the last five years, it's um, an utterly strange world to think that suddenly I might be, you know, one of those guys wearing one of the, these suits you usually see when you see pictures from African countries where there's just yet another Ebola outbreak. To suddenly to be in one um, seems surreal, really. Should we end on a fun note? Should we should we talk about something fun which is not related to COVID nineteen? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Do do you have any any fun things on your mind about um, things to think about? Things to think about. Um, I don't know. Um, top of my hat. How about an all time top eleven of bald Bundesliga players? Bald Bundesliga players. Just you know. Bald Bundesliga players, just to you know, lighten the mood. Do we want? How should how should we narrow this? Um, it, I mean, is this bald as in shaved head? Or are we talking about just strictly male pattern baldness, which is being dealt with? Um, I think we can go. You know, I, I think we a, can go both with Jurgen Kohler and okay. Dede. So you know. Okay, but so Javier Pinola is is very much in. in yes, in the, in. Uh, he is <laughs> definitely in the mix. In. Okay. Okay. So we've we've got uh, so you got Dede, we've got Jurgen Kola, we've got uh, Javier Pinola. 
Uh, who, who's our goalkeeper? Yeah, that, that that is actually a good question. Um, I mean, how how far along was Gabor Kirai uh, during his Bundesliga uh, days? Because he certainly went bald. Receding hairline at that point, which which you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that counts as somebody. I who, don't know. How far does it have to go back before it counts? Yeah, I might. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, Kirai might actually. I mean, he has do, does have the added bonus of of those great trunks, which. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the sweatpants baby the gray the, sweatpants, yeah. the, the basic gray sweatpants that you can get it you know i mean Walmart having, or whatever have, having javier pinolo with that you know tremendous haircut and those sweatpants on the same team it's a shame for bundesliga history that that never happened it's a crime to be honest yeah um up front jan Koller, maybe Yankola is definitely definitely given. So we do have a back three with Pinola, Dede, and uh, Jurgen Kohler. Um, Fabian Ernst went pretty bold, uh, holding midfielder. Bold these days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fabian Ernst is a great shot. He's he's one of those players who was you know who was really uh, an upper level Bundesliga player like when I got to Germany in the mid mid 2000s so I, I all those guys all those like sort of mid to late 2000s players I have a, a special a special good feeling towards I mean do, do you want to go for back four because I just seem to remember that Jens Novotny also had a had a ever increasing bold spot uh, as the years went along Jens Novotny Bayer Leverkusen legend Called Mr. Boring by the build sighting because he uh, actually married the girl he um, used to date when he was 18 and never left her. Yeah, see, I think Novotny, he was pre- predominantly a, a receding hairline, but it, it got far enough along during his career that I think he counts. Because he had a very severe widow's peak for a while. Um, but by the time he finished, he had basically the bald spot and the receding hairline had met. Which you know, almost in Jordan Letchkov <laughs> uh, fashion, but not quite. Well, there you go. So we do have a back four. We do have a holding midfielder. So we do need a couple of wingers now. Then, yeah, it's funny because wingers so is such a glamour bo- position and and often attracts you know these sort of speedy guys who you know you think of as being a bit flash. Doesn't really go with the the, the baldness, but you know, baldness can attack Iron anyone. Robin. Iron Robin. He's a great Robin. example. I mean, he's, he's as flashy a player as you get, but he, you know, he's bald as well. That, that is the that is the right winger. So we need one on the left. So left wingers with a bald patch. I mean, we could actually do do the thing uh, that I mean, we could put today on the left one because he obviously played there for the first few years. He was at Dortmund and go with another left back, which um, I, I, you know, the first one, the first one that comes to mind is actually Mikel Silvestre, who had. A couple of disastrous seasons at Werder Bremen. Yeah, how you know he was one of those guys that I really thought, but because he was over the hill by the time he got there, I thought that he was maybe going to play half a season because didn't he come in a January window or something like mm, that? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that, I figured he would just play half a season and then you know, you know, buzz off. But he he was there for a little longer than I thought. Yeah, he was, and uh, you know, I I used to call him and Petri Passan and. Uh, the defensive twins of doom and gloom, uh, as you know, the the collaboration in defense um, used to produce tremendous amount of, of slapstick comedy moments. He really pulled the plug opposition. on his hair 
very early. He did, I mean, yeah. When when the early signs of male pattern baldness, he was like, "I'm out with the hair. I'm shaving." Mm. Which you know, some folks think is good. Some folks, uh, you know, think fighting the good fight is the way to go. You know, I, I'm told maybe there's uh, there's something something missing on on the top of my head. I've never seen it, other than when when I used to look at the back of my head. There was this shot on Deutsche Welle where I'd be sitting at the desk, um, and and as the show concluded, and I would be shuffling paper or whatever you do as a TV anchor to sort of pass the time to look you busy. Know, and I would see the back of my head as we were going into a break, and I was like, "What's going on back there? I don't like that." <laughs> But then, you know, I never have to look at it. So I, I don't know. It, it doesn't really, it doesn't strike me as a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm actually sort of working sort of like a monkey's butt right now. Which, a uh, monkey's butt? I've not, I've not heard this term. <laughs> looks like uh, the butt of a baboon. So uh, we do need, um, we do need, we do need an attack, attacking midfielder and another striker next to Jan Koller. I mean, the, the striker should obviously be Karsten Janker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Karsten Janker. I like that. So who should be the um, attacking midfielder with, with a bald patch on? Yeah. Yeah, bald number 10s. Or, you know, 8s if you want to play that position, uh, that, that system. Mehmet Scholl, maybe? I mean, he had a receding hairline. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I, he was, he, he kind of, um, he definitely kept, kept the hair going for a while he did not he did not decide to to pull the ripcord I, he, he liked to have a little bit of fluff going on up there but there was it was patchy it was definitely mm. patchy so right i mean we we might have the bald and receding hairline top 11 of all time um, <laughs> this is the definitive uh, bald 11 right right here on you know all the things you needed to know came at the end of the podcast so there we go uh, let's just sum up in goal, Hertz a legend, um, all-around great guy, Gabo Kirill. Yeah, shout out Abel uh, Mesorosh, you're going to appreciate that. Left back, Mikel Silvestre. Uh, uh, central defenders, Jürgen Kohler and uh, Jens Novotny. Right back, Javier Pelono. Holding midfield to keep the shit together, Fabian Ernst, who you know, used, used to be a rather under underappreciated player back in his day. Um, I used to think... Uh, um, Obviously, the wingers. Uh, we got Arjen Robin and Dede up and front. Behind, behind the, the strikers, sure. behind the strikers, Mehmet Scholl. Mehmet Scholl, uh, and you know that striking combo of Carsten Janker and Jan Koller. Oh my God! If the, <laughs> oh my, God. there's a lot of beef up front. <laughs> a lot of bald beef. High balls into the area. High balls into the area. Um, and obviously. Iron Robin cutting in from one side, just <laughs> finishing in the long go. <laughs> yeah, you know what's coming, but you you, you can't stop. I, I miss I miss that. I I, I you know I, I do miss Iron Robin Robin's goals. He um you know I'm I'm not a Bayern fan, but obviously he was he was a tremendous player, tremendous player, one one of the best players we had, if not the best player over over the last decade of Bundesliga football. Yeah. Well, um, I guess that's probably it for this edition of Talking Foosball. Uh, because we had a, a nice chuckle for this, uh, you know, bald 11 to conclude the podcast, uh, I think I think we should more or less uh, work on the principle that um, talking through silly 
11s uh, like this and whatever sort of wild hair propositions you guys uh, out there in, in podcast land want to throw our way, that's probably the way forward for the next few months. Um, and any kinds of uh, category of, of 11s, we, none is too silly for us to contend with. So uh, we want to hear from you. <laughs> Top 11 of plays with Ciliaki. Um Yeah, mustache 11s, you know, <laughs> yeah, chubby yeah. 11s, handsome Mus- 11s. Ah, uh, Ailton, Ailton. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. If handsome 11s, that should be Logan Bailly, if you ask Dan Levy. Uh, you used to remember, he, he used to have a man crush on him, if you, if you remember the, the old Eurosport Bundesliga podcast. I do, I do. I actually got to meet him in, uh, in London uh, when I was living there a few times. He's, he's a top guy. I, 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 I hope he's doing well. Me too, me too. Once interviewed him for the Fanatic podcast, which, uh, yeah. But we, you know, you know what, um, before we, we walk down memory lane uh, of who we've met and what we've drunk over the last 10 years, I think we should wrap it up and say, stay safe. Yep, stay safe. Avoid, avoid all unnecessary contact at any cost. Wash your hands, desanitize your hands, keep your distance if you're out and about. I mean, don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's a demanding time. It's the most demanding times we have had since I've been born, probably. Yep. Yep. I was, I was just putting out some, some emails to my, uh, reporting class, uh, and found myself writing the very strange sentence that despite the fact that that you take lots of precautions when it comes to how they report and not do anything unsafe, I wanted them to engage with in, in whatever way they can, what, is probably going to be the biggest story of any of our lifetimes. This is is a a wild, wild time to be alive. And the Bundesliga is spectacular. And it is the raison d'etre of this show. (laughs) But it ain't life and death, folks. It ain't life and death. And uh, I hope you do stay safe. I hope you do stay in touch with all your friends, despite the fact that you can't hang out with them in person. Uh, I hope you reach out and, uh, you know, say hey to us and ask us questions and, and you know, just generally be be our friend because, you know, we're not going to be as active as, as we have been in our, you know, twice weekly schedule. But we do want to be here for each other, for you and, and, and everything. Yeah, send send us questions, um, and you know if you, if you need something to do um, during you know whilst being and <laughs> staying away from people, I actually put out um, a list of ten football books you should have read on Twitter. Oh yes, that was a really nice tweet. So that that is pinned to to the t- top of my Twitter page. If, if you're not following uh, my Twitter handle is at more musings. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do those lists from time to time going forward about stuff you should read, stuff, you know. I mean, I know it's it's, it's demanding. It's it's demanding. It's, it's driving people crazy not to feel human touch, not, not being outside, not being in the sun. So we definitely should try to do our best to, to give people, you know, things to do. Because we need to pass an awful lot of time going forward. You got it. All right. Well, all the things that I usually say about um, further podcasts coming up imminently uh, do not apply. But as, as Nick said, uh, mentioning his his own Twitter handle, I will mention mine at Mr. Matt Herman. And yeah, we'll we'll be seeing you before long. Uh, until then, this is some Nixon Molly, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>